You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. I am a fan. I can look at them all day long and die laughing. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Well, they're playing a lot better now. You know, they've got uh, 20 interceptions and 42 sacks, and I think that's their, you know, their mantras. They want to they wanna create havoc for the offense, and, um, you know, they've got good players. Oh, well, they're always good. You know, I think they're, you know, he's always been – one of the tops in the league in first down offense. First first downs, he's always, this year he's second. Um, you know, they've always been explosive, um, take their shots, um, do a good job in the screen game. You know, he's got a Hall of Fame quarterback. He's had that for a while. Drew Brees has played pretty good for a long time. Um, you know, he's won a Super Bowl. He's been MVP. Um, you know, he's thrown for millions of yards. So I think all those things kind of sum up what he does. Yes, the Vikings' voyage for vindication, we're calling it, on this radio show. We even have t-shirts for just a couple days. Just a couple days. We don't want to jinx the actual we're game itself. floating it out there very quickly and it's then a, taking it back. Your voyage for the number four, which represents Super Bowls. And uh, Brett Favre, the voyage for vindication. If you want, we're selling these uh, 15 bucks, and all the money goes to uh, uh, the American Cancer Society. Teespring, T-E-E-Spring.com slash voyage. Teespring.com slash voyage. It is funny, the gap between, you know, how much fans care about historical uh, you know, vindication or historical rivalries versus players. The mm-hmm. only guy left in the locker room from that 2009 game, the NFC Championship game against the Saints, is Brian Robinson. So I totally get when, like, fans and and. Fans and media, we care a lot more about those storylines than uh, guys in the locker room who, if you think about it, that was eight years ago. So there's probably young players who were like 14 years old who are in the Vikings locker room right now and maybe remember watching the game on TV. But uh, And for 1998, what's my math on that? So that, that was a 1999 game against the uh, Falcons. So the there's t- players who are like barely born in that locker the room. The 20th a- anniversary of that NFC title game will actually be three days after Sunday's game. Yeah. It was January 17th, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. of 1998. So 20 years. Exactly. So Mackie and Judd and uh, a guy that we haven't talked to in a, in a few years on this show, but he was one of the best kickers in the NFL for a long time, Green Bay and uh, and Vikings. Ryan Longwell. How's it going, Ryan? Very well. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank yeah. you, sir. P- appreciate that. So we we've we're calling it the Vikings Voyage for Vindication this week. Which, like we just said, players in the locker room don't really care because they weren't around for that 0-9 game against the Saints. But the Vikings could, in theory, get vindication against the Saints as a franchise, Falcons if that plays out, and maybe Steelers. So, uh, what do you remember most about that? championship game against the Saints. Um, what what stands out when you think back to the, the peak moments and the low moments in that game? Like, what when you reminisce, or do you just try to avoid it mentally altogether, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, I think it's funny how, like, kind of life happens, but to this day, um, you know, Sarah and the kids uh, went to that game, and to this day, because of that game, 
Uh, my kids think like New Orleans is the worst city on the planet. Like <laughs> they don't want anything to do with it because of, of that game. So, I mean, my memories, I mean, I have a couple of them, but, you know, obviously one of them is the, uh, the fumble before halftime. I mean, I thought that was putting the game away, um, which, you know, you go in at halftime with uh, not as much momentum and then driving down at the end of the game. Um, you know, I, I mean, I remember what I was thinking. I remember what I was feeling and I remember I was feeling, you know, um, in all circumstances, one of the biggest kicks of your life, I was feeling actually really, really calm. So, I mean, I felt like I was, um, you know, really confident. And then um, obviously it doesn't go our way. And, so, and then my my final kind of memory from that is, uh, um, you know, seeing Brett in his locker after the game and yeah. just kind of looking at him and knowing, you know, we uh, we played really well. We just didn't win the game on the scoreboard. And uh, so – not a lot of, uh, you know, happy memories, uh, if you will, but uh, um, certainly one of the, uh, you know, one of the games that stands out over my, you know, career, no doubt. Of all the things uh, that went went wrong at the end of that day, is there one that stands out? I mean, 12 men or the, 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 uh, the PI on Ben, is there one thing that in your mind still stands out, Ryan? Well, I thought we had... Uh, kind of momentum i thought we were driving to get in you know what i mean what i would call doable field goal range meaning basically you know inside kind of 53 54 yards where you know i could swing at my normal pace and, and get it there rather than the 57 58 where you got to swing a little harder um so i thought we were going well and it was really that 12 minute in the huddle which seemed to just snowball a bunch of different things you know which is one momentum Two, going backwards in yardage. Three, the sideline began getting chaotic. Um, you know, and it just seemed like that thing just set the series um, of what was to come, you know, in motion. And um, I actually, you know, for all of us that saw Brett uh, after the game and saw his leg over the next couple of days and how bad he was beat up, I mean, I actually don't even think – I mean, it was a big deal. I'm not saying that. But I actually don't even think the interception was as big of a deal um, only because the guy couldn't literally move, you know, and and so I think it was that twelve man that kind of just stunted the, all the progress we were making to go kick that winner. Do you think you would have made the longer one? Uh, I I think so. So I mean, I all I can judge is uh, um, you know how I hit it in pregame, and the thing about you know not getting too uh, you know detailed here, but. The thing about when you play in dome stadiums is it's always colder in pregame because the fans aren't in there. And so the ball doesn't fly as far. And so I hit a 53-yarder in pregame going that same direction that reached the bottom of the net. And the bottom of the net in the Superdome is, you know, seven to eight yards behind the goalpost, and that was with it cold, without adrenaline. So I felt like once we got past midfield, I was well within range. And, I I mean, I was hitting it pretty good that day. So uh, I just felt like that was kind of – you know, our time and my time, and, and I was going to put a good hit on it. And then it was not going to be short. I mean, I knew that, that uh, we were well within range. So, uh, Sideline-wise, what transpired there? I, I mean, now so far, after the fact, when, when you talk about uh, the chaos that came up, what started to, to go wrong? Because as I recall, you, you guys called a timeout, right? And And it was coming out of that timeout then, that the 12 men occurred. What sort of went wrong there as far as the chaos that did occur on that sideline, Ryan? Well, I mean, I don't know the nuts and bolts of it as far as, you know, offensively play calls and formations, but I, you know, I know Chili and Bev um, each had, you know, kind of called different things and, and uh, um, you know, it was different formations, which includes different, you know, whether 
um, you know, the fullbacks in the game or not. And, and then, uh, you know, I was so far down the field the other way getting ready to go kick um, that uh, I just saw, you know, you can kind of see communication from afar, even though you don't need to hear it. And I just saw between them and um, even, you know, talking to Murph, um, you know, my special teams coach, Brian Murphy, and, and he was telling them we're still okay, we're still in range, you know, just, just let's not go backwards any further, you know. Um, and uh, so you can kind of tell that it was – uh, a little more scramble mode after that than it had been on that drive previously. Ryan Longwell uh, is with us. Ryan Longwell, one of the best kickers in the NFL for uh, for about 15 years, and I think you've you've always been a fan favorite, even though uh, you spent more time in Green Bay and people hated you for like 10 years. But you've probably <laughs> always been a fan favorite. I think people have uh, found a connection with you. What you know, the, the Vikings have they're gonna because they play defense and they they play lower scoring games they're not going to play like 34 to 31 games this particular team so it's very possible that something could come down to a of Kai Forbath field goal or a close kick in these big games like the one we're talking about the 2009 NFC championship game what's it like you're basically a and you golf a lot it's like being a golfer in football pads you know it's like mechanics and mental energy and all these things that you talk about breathing what is it like when you're lining up for a huge kick, like the one that you would have, you know, lined up for in that 2009 NFC Championship game? When you're kind of on an island, take take our audience through that. Yeah, I mean the uh, the hardest thing is to just say that it's the same kick as everything else, you know. And and uh, the hardest thing to do as a kicker in the NFL is to be okay with the big miss. So if you're okay, not that you want to miss the big kick, but if you're okay with the result, meaning all the spotlights on you. You're going to have to answer the media. The fan base is going to be disappointed. Your teammates are going to be disappointed. If you're okay with dealing with that, then that gives you the freedom to kind of go swing away because you're okay with the, what ultimately could be the worst result. So, you know, the thing is, is that pressure is solely what you put on yourself. So there's no difference physically in a first quarter 50 yarder than a fourth quarter 50 yarder or an overtime 50 yarder, you know, but obviously what they mean is different. And so, the, the biggest thing is to stay in your rhythm, stay in your routine, and treat it like every other kick, knowing that you full well are aware of the situation, you know what's riding on it, and you know your leg's probably going to feel a little, you know, a little jellyish, which is all okay. I mean, that's why you kick so many balls. That's why you train so hard to get into that position. But, you know, the, the hardest thing that you see young kickers or kickers that struggle under pressure is they always try to swing too hard, you know, and, and that happens in the NFL just like it does, you know, last night uh, in the college game at the end of regulation. You know, when you stri- when you swing so hard, that ball just darts left, and uh, that's a dangerous, dangerous thing. So my whole thing was always when I was at my best, I was at 80 85% power, and uh, that's what you try to do knowing that adrenaline's going to, um, actually speed up your leg and, and you know, the situation is going to speed up your leg. So you actually have to even slow down more to get you back to your 80, 85% power. And so um, that was my whole thing, rhythm and routine. Uh, so 98 to 2009 of 15 as well. Uh, the fan base here, clearly, if they don't believe in curses, they, they are always, uh, there's always trepidation about Vikings games and big games here. Do players, in your mind, do players care about that stuff at all? Do players know about that stuff? How how far removed are players uh, when it comes to a a franchise's history, Ryan? Well, I think they're extremely removed, to be honest with you, right up until the uh, roof caves in on your dome. 
then you start thinking maybe this isn't our year. But uh, <laughs> other, that being uh, that being the exception to the rule, um, you know, you're just uh, honestly, it's a very very selfish sport. Meaning, you're just trying to keep your job. You're trying to win games for your teammates. You're trying to win games for your team. You're trying to do what's great in week ten and in week twelve, and then you're trying to you know strike while the iron's hot when you get into the playoffs, and so. I don't think as a player you really have time to worry about a franchise's history, good or bad. Mm-hmm. Um, just like when you, you know, if you're a rookie for the Patriots, you don't assume that you can, you know, work a little easier because you're always going to have good breaks. Just like if you're, you know, with the Vikings in the playoffs, you just can't assume that it's always going to go against you. So you're just trying to get better and better prepared for the game plan and, and give your best shot um, when your number's called. And I think, that's the mentality of, of most of the NFL players. You know, it's, it's really more of the fan base and the media story. Um, I mean, I can tell you almost every big loss for the uh, Seahawks and the Mariners, you know, growing up as a kid. But, sure. um, you know, when you're a player, you're not really worried about what happened 10 years ago and 20 years ago. Except that 2010 brings up a great point, which, which is this. This is one league in which you can assume. Like, like this team now can't say, well, we're, we're building something now and we're really good, therefore 18's going to be great. This is one league where, to me, it's completely on a year-by-year basis, and that doesn't mean that you can't build something, but to make an assumption that things are going to continue to go right, as we all saw in 2010, is a leap of faith. You cannot put the same pieces together and expect the same result. There, there's no doubt in this league. I mean, you just look at, uh, you know, what we did to get Brett back and, and it just wasn't the same, you know, and then, you know, one key guy here or there, one key injury here or there, or even, you know, a touch of complacency sets in that, ah, we got the pieces back together. Um, you know, and it's a totally different animal. I mean, you know, not to mention the other guys, but you look at what happened the second Aaron Rodgers went down, you know, with that, uh, that game in Minnesota, you know, I mean, that changed the entire flow, not only of that game, but of their, the Packers rest of the season, and so, you know, you lose the wrong key guy or you just assume that you can plug and play, you know, we'll lose this guy, we'll put another guy in. Um, that's why it's so, so important to not worry about, you know, history or the jinxes or all that stuff. It's so, so important to take advantage while you have a chance. And that's, you know, going back to 2009, I mean, that's why that season just kind of stings eternally is because we had the pieces together, we had momentum, we had – you know, Greg Lewis's catch. We had kind of all those things go our way that year. And when you have those things go your way, man, you have to strike why they aren't hot. Yeah. Ryan Longwell, hey, before we uh, let you go, this has been awesome, and I know our audience is uh, is loving this too. Uh, what is, just for fun, what's your favorite behind-the-scenes Brett Favre or 2009 Viking story that maybe the, the public hasn't heard? Something safe for radio, but what's something that, some fun <laughs> anecdote or some fun story that you could share with us? Well, I mean, there's a, a ton of fun ones. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, just being around him for so many years, I've heard, you know, heard a lot of his spiels and, and seen a lot of his stuff. But uh, um, I, I just remember, uh, um, you know, when we were in uh, Cleveland was our opener in 09. And, you know, Brett, like myself, had come from the Packers for so many years. And we go to the locker room, and, I, and when he gets there, I'll never forget, he looks at his locker. And uh, he kind of looks at me and looks back, and it's obviously his Viking stuff. And he goes, man, I may be too old for white pants. <laughs> you know? And for him, 
you know, a guy who'd always been in the yellow pants and everything, yep. he's thinking about, you know, putting on the white uniform and the white pants and, uh, you know, at his age, uh, may not be the, uh, I don't know, the, uh, the sexiest ensemble he was putting on, but he always had a way. I will say this about him. He always had a way of taking like the expectation and the pressure and the heat off any moment. And, uh, that's why he was so good at guys rallying around him because whether it was in the huddle, whether it was in the locker room, whether it was the night before, he always had a way of, of breaking the ice and making guys feel relaxed. And that's probably his biggest asset that he had going for him. He did look kind of weird in white pants. He did. Like, <laughs> well, the, the Viking jersey looked super odd. That that helmet on Favre looked completely it, it, foreign. It looked like, even in person, it looked like a Photoshop job, yes. like an in-person Photoshop job, Ryan. It was completely bizarre, Ryan. Yeah, it's a little weird. Uh, you know, we've, after so many years of seeing one thing, uh, you know, change is, uh, change makes you look at things a little differently. <laughs> hey, um, it's, uh, it's different. Hey, Brad's done now. I, I think he has announced or is about to that he's going to uh, step down from coaching altogether. What will be your uh, your remembrances of Brad Childress as a coach? Well, I, you know, I thought, uh, in all honesty, I thought Chili's best asset in. in really without without any question was his ability of player evaluation i thought he was one of the best um guys evaluating talent evaluating free agency evaluating i mean you look at the roster he built um early on you know and i know uh, rick was around but not right. really in, in his role he's in now but i mean when you're bringing in hutch and and chester taylor and myself and drafting Sidney rice and percy harvin and you know even uh, t jack and um, you know, really getting, you know, Ben Lieber and, and bringing in all these guys where, you know, within a couple of years we were pretty competitive. And then, you know, three years down the road, we were, you know, one of, if not the best teams in the league. And so um, his talent evaluation, I always thought in player acquisition was really, really strong. And then, um, you know, every memory I have of Chile is from his infamous night before speeches. I mean, just, you know, Really, really crazy stuff. <laughs> whether it was plastic chains, whether it was game day tickets, whether it was uh, um, you know a deck of cards, whether it just <laughs> all stuff off the wall that uh, I mean we could write books and books and books about. Uh, but uh, his uh, his speeches were uh, were notorious on Saturday night meetings. Yeah, he one time brought the media in to show like he he showed some footage of buffaloes herding together to thwart like a pack of lions and like this is the type of stuff that i show the team and it was like a bunch of tv and newspaper guys in a room like i don't know man i don't know if that's gonna work chili but you do you <laughs> yeah i mean i've i've heard some great uh, coaching uh uh speeches you know uh great in quotes um i don't think anything will top uh leslie frazier's one where we get in there uh guys we think the roof of the dome might fall in, but we'll let you know as it goes on. <laughs> was, was that it? Uh, oh, the night before the Giants game? I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. Um, uh, how should we handle this one? <laughs> oh. Yeah, but other than that, uh, which is hard to top, um, you know, they, uh, yeah, everything else uh, was, was definitely uh, Chili's. Yeah, he was he was really good at it. <laughs> they sent you to Detroit, and then and then the worst thing is they made you play that last game against the Bears uh, at uh, on the, the campus here, 
And Cluey's the one that said they're going to get somebody killed. They can't play the game. And the Vikings said, this is nonsense. Our punter's completely off his rocker crazy. And sure enough, Brett. And it was Favre. Yeah, Brett almost got <laughs> like killed. Unconscious, foaming on the ground. And yeah. to this day, yeah. to this day, that is why they don't allow players to talk after concussions now. Because if you recall, we all thought, well, Favre's dead. You know, he's not coming out. Totally. He comes in the press room and gives this whole, you know, soliloquy, Favrean thing of, I think I'm concussed, but I, and goes on. On and on and on. <laughs> the greatest. I mean that that whole season. Don't forget, we were stuck in Philadelphia for four days too on Christmas. Then we played Tuesday night football there. So I was stuck with you. Yeah, that whole season between the roof caving in, the Monday night football game as the home team in Detroit, the uh, four day stay on Christmas in Philly for a Armageddon blizzard that maybe had a dusting of a cold. <laughs> <on it. laughs> And uh, so we played Tuesday night football, and then uh, we play outdoor and TCF, uh, and uh, Favre gets KO'd in his last game ever, when he wasn't even supposed to play in the game anyways, mind you. He went from out and, uh, he, from out on the injury report on Monday morning to playing in that game. I didn't even know you could do that. Yeah. Yes. I rode, I rode to the game in his uh, truck uh, with him because we thought it was going to be his last game, you know, kind of just reminiscing about old times. And uh, so I asked him. I said, uh, "Kid, what do you you know? What are you thinking? This is kind of it, right?" And he goes, "You know what? I think I might play tonight." <laughs> what? Uh, so, yeah, that was a curveball to us all. Amazing stuff, man. Hey, Thank Ryan, you, Ryan, thanks for the time. That we appreciate great. it. And uh, hopefully, you're enjoying some warmer weather, unlike us right now. Enjoy the golf. Yeah, no, we're good. We're good in the golf weather here. So I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having Thank us. Thank you very All much. Right. Ryan Longwell. Man, that was great. I didn't know that about Leslie. That's. We think the dome's going to. I remember getting a note on that Saturday night from someone saying the dome is leaking. It's really, really bad. And I checked with the Vikings official. They're like, these are minor problems, minor leaks. This will not be a problem. Yeah. These will. And I thought, oh, okay, that's fine. And then I, I woke up the next morning at like 8, and I had a text from Seifert, 3.50 a.m. The roof just collapsed. You know who didn't get that memo? The guy in the motorized cart on the floor of the Metrodome oh, as guy. the roof was collapsing, driving away for his life. That was great stuff. Uh, Dave's got some questions when we come back here. What do you got for us? Ah, we're going to do that. Uh, we're going to get back into the uh, Wolves a little bit and maybe some national championship stuff, too. We'll, we'll see what we got. Cool. Mackie and Judd now continue. Oh, come on. On 1500 ESPN. Now on Mackie and John. Do you believe in past lives? Did we ever really land on the moon? Questions. What are the six degrees that separate you and Kevin Bacon? Of significant importance. Mackie and Judd, if you missed the first 20 minutes of this last hour, Ryan Longwell was awesome. Ryan Longwell joined us. It is the Vikings voyage for vindication this week, and Ryan Longwell didn't even get a chance to kick the field goal that would have sent the Vikings to the Super Bowl in 2009. Yep. And he joined us to tell stories. You covered that team. I covered I covered that beep. You covered it much longer and more closely. And he told stories that we'd never heard before. Yep. Um, so that'll be available after our show is over. Hour four, Ryan Longwell. Go check it out. Yeah, that was awesome. And, and just to be clear quickly, I believe that the uh, the drive that Favre through the pick-on came from the, the line of scrimmage for that was the Saints 38-yard line. So if you do the math, that field goal would, would have been doable. It would have been 48 plus the 7, so let's say 55 yards. Yep. 
So they. So had, it's they not were, a ridiculous. It's not this. No, no way in hell you can kick the field goal. It was actually a doable field goal. Yeah. So he was actually he was twenty six of twenty eight on the season going into the playoffs, and had only missed one field goal beyond forty yards all year. So from fifty in a dome. And he wasn't the guy that was going to get nervous. He was kind of, by the end of his career, he was really, really good. Yeah. Um, I, I think he makes it for sure from 50. And this would have been for 50. 49 or 50. And then 54, 55. 55. Man, I think he makes that too. We'll never know. That's question one. Will he have made it? I think so. Well, that was actually the only disappointing thing I found from the interview itself. When you asked him if he would have made it, I wish he had said no. I had no shot. I would have been right in there with Gary Anderson <laughs> and Blair Walsh. I would have hooked that thing so bad. I told you, <laughs> I told you guys the the story. Then, then in training camp of 2010 was he kept going back to to 55 yards out, That's right. and kicking Bang field him. and kicking field goals, so that Chili would see that he should have let, that he should have allowed him to kick the 55 yard field goal. <laughs> That's, That's pretty good stuff. Yeah. Fratelloni's Ace Hardware and Garden Stores brings us questions today. Question number one, let's go back to the Wolves beatdown of the Cavaliers last night and the issue you guys have been avoiding for three and a half hours now. Tibbs. Andrew's really doing a lot of things out there for us. So his rebounding has improved, his playmaking, the scoring, the energy. He's, uh, He's doing a lot of really good things. And uh, that's been key for us. When you start to see like the block shots, the rebounds, and the, the floor game, the scoring's always been there. He's a very gifted scorer. So that part, but it's all the other things that are starting to come. He's, he's making plays, he's blocking shots, he's getting deflections, he's doing a lot of things that are, that are, that are impacting winning. Now, obviously, he had a big game last night, but that was Tibbs saying, no, it's not just last night. Andrew Wiggins is getting it. He's been playing better as of late. Last couple of weeks, things have really uh, picked up. The light bulb has turned on. Are you boys ready to give him credit, not for being a superstar, maybe not for earning the max yet, but for getting it? No, not yet. <laughs> I need. I'll. I'll clear out quick here for Phil. But oh, I. No. I need. My, I need to see. Thank God, Ryan Longwell went twenty-one minutes. I don't have time. <laughs> I need to see far more consistency here. I am much more um, upbeat, emboldened, feeling better about what I've seen from Cat defensively of late. Because if Cat puts this entire thing together, it's going to be phenomenal. Uh, with Wiggins, I always feel like we're scratching the surface. And, and here's the other thing to keep in mind. Anything against Cleveland, to me, gets an asterisk. Do this against the Nets. Do this against the Trailblazers. Do this against the Kings. We know that you go into every game against Cleveland trying to show them that they made a, a mistake. So if you have a big game against Cleveland, I say to myself, of course you did. I need to see way more consistency. Uh, I'm going to use a sliding scale. I'm going to, on a scale of, I'm going to go segment within a segment here. On a scale of Michael Beasley to DeMar DeRozan. So wing players that we're familiar with. Beasley being a one. And DeRozan being a 10. Beasley's an MVP this year. He did have a good game. Yeah, he scored 30 in a game. <laughs> he did. I don't think Wiggins has scored 30 in a game yet this year. So Beasley has a higher peak scoring performance. On a scale of 1 to 10, Beasley to DeRozan, I would put Wiggins going into the year at like a 2 or a 3. Because he no defense, um, inefficient scorer, all these things that we could go on and on about. I would say because he's improved his defense and 
looks to be more engaged on a regular basis, I'd put him at like a four or five on that sliding scale. So, but but you know, it's your you you mentioned the max contract thing that becomes a big elephant next year. You're paying your third guy max money, and he's not living up to the title of the max money player. But baby steps, baby steps. It's not about scoring with him. It's about all the other things, yeah, like Tom Thibodeau mentioned. Yeah, exactly. And the scoring will just sort of come naturally if you're doing all the other things and you're active. It's a pretty good football game last night. Alabama's really good. Georgia's really good. Turned into a real good game. Let's say those two are the you know, most talented teams in college football. Let's put it on a scale. Let's say they are 100 out of 100. They are the top of the heap. Where are the Gophers right oh. now? And oh, oh if everything oh, breaks God. right for P.J. Fleck in the next, let's say, three years, what's the highest that number can get? Wow. Um, well, how many? Well, there's 120 Division One A teams, right? Somewhere in that in range. That region is a lot. Um, let's say I'll just take the Power Five. So there's like 65 Power Five. <coughs> 60, there's around 60 Power Five schools. And then let's add Notre Dame and a Central Florida and a couple other schools. So 60 to 65. National champion, UCF. Exactly. And so if Georgia and Alabama are kind of number one and number two, where are the Gophers on that one to 65 scale? Right now, they're bottom 20 for sure. Where could they be at the end of the P.J. Fleck run? I'd say fringe top 25. <laughs> Somewhere there. They could be 20th. They could be 20th. They're not going to pass like LSU. Maybe one year. Wisconsin? That would be the goal. Yes. I'll believe that. Aspire for the Mace years is all I all I have to say. Aspire for those Mace years. Get those Mace years back here. That's all I want. Hey, he got him ranked. I've already spiked that volleyball today, Judd. They You're are... not going to get me to try and spike it again. No, you like Childress, and I, I like Mace. It's that simple. It's okay. Yeah, my guy at least goes to meaningful postseason games. So did my guy. Mace, Which one? Mace just, wins them. Just the fact, oh, those bowl, those bowl games all, if you were to believe what you were told, they all meant something. And I'm going to tell you right now, Extra when, P, practice. when P.J. Fleck goes to his first bowl game, we're, we're going to be told it's a big deal. I mean, it might be on December 21st in Detroit, but it's going to be a big deal. Uh, they are, the Gophers are in the 60s in the group that you're talking about, and what, what do they aspire to? I mean, I've followed this program since 1978, and it never can, they are, um, if they can get in the bottom of the top 25, you should be happy. I'd just love to see them once get smoked by Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship game. Just go get beat 48-3 to in the Big Ten Championship game. Is that too much to ask? I have followed Gopher football for 40 years, and they have never given me a reason to love college football, and I hate them for that. Yeah, I mean, they've given you reasons to resent college football. They have, but I hate hate them for that. Quick percent chance they'll make a Big Ten championship game in your lifetimes? A hundred. A Big Ten championship game? A hundred. In my lifetime? Yeah. Unless I die in the next six months. Um, Hopefully that doesn't happen. 15%. Does that that seem more about the Gophers or your health? 15%. It's the two things converging. <laughs> it's my death and the demise of a football program that can't that always has a demise. All right, question three and a great emailer from a loyal listener. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. They're running a strange program, y'all. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. All right, question three here. <laughs> Ryan Longwell was amazing, but he lived up to his name. We went long with Ryan 
And uh, we have to spill question three into another segment here. So extra questions from Dave. Question's very happy to explore mm-hmm. the space. It's a question I was pondering last night with the national championship game going, wondering how many millions upon millions of dollars are being funneled to the NCAA just on one night of football alone. And it continues as ESPN wall to wall breaking it down today. The question is old as time. It's older than football itself, if that were possible. The more corrupt or morally bankrupt organization, boys, the NFL or the NCAA? One has a problem with player safety. The one has a problem with amateur athletics. This is simple. Really? Because I wrestle with this No, no, no. I really struggle. No, no, because, because they are both morally corrupt, but only one perpetrates itself as a complete fraud. Only one actually operates under the we're amateur athletics. Only one says <laughs> our athletes are our students who are going to school. To be fair, the other operates as a nonprofit, correct? The, the National Football League? Yes. Uh, they have a partial uh, antitrust exemption. Uh, baseball has a full one, by the way, mm-hmm. which is a great deal. Um, but my point is only... The National Football League only reacts when when they might have trouble, right? Concussions, so we care about players because we don't w- want to be sued. The NCAA goes around constantly. Con- I mean, look at all of this, you know, the, the the frauds that these people are. That they go, we care about student athletes? No, you don't give a damn. You gave, North Carolina found a way to get around being sanctioned because their students were also cheating along with their basketball players. Mm-hmm. The NCAA, one, is a joke. Two, is corrupt. I, I would, the one where I would have trouble answering this question is the Olympic people or the NCAA. They all deserve yeah, each other. The National Football League it has has no scruples, but I don't think that they even really try to give you the feeling they do most of the time. The NCAA tries to pass themselves off about it's caring about kids. I would I would take what Judd said and answer it this way too. Just doing some quick math. Let's say the average ticket price in that building last night was over $1000. Like face value ticket price. And that's probably pretty fair. The suites are tens of thousands. You want to sit in the upper deck, you get in the door, it's going to be a few hundred bucks, I would think. Uh, we're talking $100 million in gate revenue last night inside that stadium. And that's just a rough estimate. Doesn't include the beers and all the concessions and then all the corporate sponsorships and then the TV revenue on top of it and all these things. And Nick Saban, I think rightfully so in terms of market value, makes about $8 million a year. But if I'm a player, forget about paying the athletes a few thousand dollars in uh, in like food money or or housing. Let's forget about that. If I'm a player and my star rises above the level of the rest of the guys on the roster, if I'm a Johnny Manziel type, and I want to open an Instagram T-shirt sales company, I want to like I'm I'm uh, what uh, Isaiah Washington for the Gophers. He's got 400,000 followers on Instagram. Jelly fam. That he has built. Like, he did not need the Gophers or NCAA basketball right. to build 400,000 followers on Instagram. He did that before he got to the University of Minnesota. As a high school kid. If yes. he wants to sell a t-shirt off of that platform and yeah. make 20 bucks, yes. that's an NCAA violation. Yes. So the answer to your question is the NCAA. That, like, if I want to sell a t-shirt off of my Instagram account... It is an NCAA violation that could get me kicked out of the program. BS. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, not even close to me. I'll never forget 
when we had the Gopher women's basketball rights along with the men in the hockey team, this is like those were the days. They, those were the days. They really were. And Grimmer would join us. Yep. We had a song ready for that, but we were too nervous to, to release and it. Grimsky maybe would come maybe it'll be a bonus track next year. On Wednesdays? Get Spencer on once a week. He brought the little brown jug in once. And the, the pig, too. And the pig, pig with bacon. And <laughs> that didn't go. bacon, yep. That was not a hit with some people in different uh, at different stations. I heard that. Yeah, mm-hmm. they were very offended. They were very mad that the, the jug came here first. This is all true. So Rachel Bannum oh, was a this. star freshman or sophomore. She was early in her career. So this is like five, six years ago. Yes. And uh, Rachel joined Royce and I on stage at the State Fair, and we were doing our T-shirt giveaways where we had, for a couple of years, we gave away like 100 T-shirts every two hours. Mm-hmm. And so there's always a line. And so we grabbed one of the T-shirts, the, the, the maroon and gold colored T-shirts from the, let me, let me get the details right. So there was a white T-shirt that we were giving away for free to the audience. We had the maroon and gold T-shirts that we were selling for $10 inside the booth. Mm-hmm. She came up. I grabbed one of the maroon and gold ones from our promo booth. I tossed it to her. Hey, thanks for coming on the show. Here's a a T-shirt, right? The PR person with her comes over and says, actually, if those aren't the free T-shirts you're giving away, if that's a shirt that you're charging money for in the booth, she can't take the Mm T-shirt. That's the NCAA. And she can't have a T-shirt at the state fair. Yet... A hundred million dollars in gate revenue went into people's pockets last night. Yes. So and yet North Carolina came to them and said, You can't punish us because our students were cheating in the same classes as our athletes. Therefore, we are untouchable. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm telling you. Every home game, Mark Coyle, I challenge you. Mark, if you want to show that you have guts, I mean your press conferences are not so great. I think people don't think that that you're all that strong, Mark. If you wanna, if you wanna change perception, do it today. Give Bantam a free T-shirt. Plan out the raising of the banner. The '97 banner goes up. Plan it out. Announce it. Say we don't care what the NCAA thinks. We are putting all these records back in. And, and in fact, we will show you that we now realize students, along with the athletes in '97, Gengelhoff wrote papers for them too. Therefore, it's a wash. You can't touch us. The banner's going back up. Fire Patino, bring back Clem. Well, that would be fun. <laughs> bring back Clem. Let me Center ask you Clem. this. Does Mark Coyle strike you as a guy who would potentially go against the grain of authority? I'm telling you, he's got his chance. I don't think so. I, he's Did you got see his, his press conference? He's got his opportunity here. Grab it. A great email regarding Judd when we come back. And uh, some brief Twins news as well. The Mackie and Judd Show rolls on, finally, finally, on 1500 ESPN. Did you purchase a Garage Logic 25th anniversary pint glass? If so, listen up. The next round of pickup dates has been set. The 1500 ESPN promo crew will be in the front lobby of the Hubbard Broadcasting Building here, January 11th and 12th from 2 to 5 p.m. And the 22nd and 23rd of January from 8 to 11 a.m. You will need to have your vouchers or a valid ID to claim your glasses. You will also receive your free town hall pint when you come. More details on the Garage Logic and 1500 ESPN Facebook pages. What, Joe couldn't uh, couldn't dish out for the shipping? Should have just made house calls. <laughs> Stop yeah, at every single one. Delivered from the mayor himself. <laughs> I, yeah, GL on the road. Get rookie, out there. Rookie can just carry a box of them right behind him. I mean, come on. Reavers, that's, that's a good idea. Now nah, Reavers in Buffalo or something like that. How about that? 
about the fact that he went to Jacksonville for the Bills game? It is hilarious that he has deemed there's some budget that he has created uh, that he goes to sporting events around the country two, three, four times a year, and they're all like Buffalo Bills or Detroit. He goes to these random sporting events, Gotta mostly Buffalo Bills. Gotta yeah. be there. But no, you don't. But if you're gonna go, if you're gonna go to a Buffalo Bills playoff game in Jacksonville, you damn well better get slammed through a flaming table. No kidding. Yes. And if not, don't ever come back to this office. Of all the road trips, though, my favorite is Jacksonville. Jack, <laughs> I think his last two football road trips have been to Houston, which well, that I'm, wasn't even a road trip. The Jacksonville it was he flew, I, I believe. Oh, did he fly? Yes. Well, oh. it would take you 30 hours oh, to drive okay. to Jacksonville, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think he left late Saturday night, early Sunday morning. It was well, you thought he I drove hate. to I Florida he, over I the thought, weekend? I thought he drove down there. came back in there. time for the Monday I show. I thought he huh? drove down there. Wow, that's impressive. <laughs> I. Uh, but my point is Jacksonville, of all the places that you could go, Jacksonville, what a cesspool. It's a terrible. Never been. Never it's an been. awful. It's, it's city. by the ocean. How bad can it be if it's, it's by the ocean? It's an awful city. Yeah, it's a moderately warm day. That's fine. It's an awful city, and uh, that and that stadium, that downtown, is brutal. I've boy. been there a couple of times. It's terrible. I'm not kidding. Speaking of terrible, it's one of my least favorite. Can we talk about Judd's brevity? Well, yeah, this is great. Yeah, yeah. Wait, yeah. real quick. Uh, the is, the, the awesome. Twins news: Justin Morneau has taken a role as an advisor in the Twins front office. So. The Twins getting the band back together the last few years. Torrey Hunter's an advisor. Cuddy, LaTroy Hawkins, and Justin Morneau. A good, knowledgeable guy to have around behind the scenes. And I'm sure he'll be at spring training. So that's your, your, your minor booth, brief sure Twins too, days. Right? Once or twice with yeah, Dick. Yeah, be fun. Giving us some baseball insights. Okay, go ahead. All right, Dave Harrigan. Now, we got awesome. an email from loyal listener Reed, who did this once before. And it's called Transcribing Judd Speak. Volume number two, or mm-hmm. episode number two. Would you like me to read it here? Yes. Yeah, fire away. All right. Well, as Reed said, uh, he's got the <laughs> word count infraction here. Yesterday, hour two of the program, Judd effectively raised the question that could have, be, uh, could have been framed. How will Case Keenum handle the increased pressure of the playoffs? A valid question. Uh-huh. Very simple question. Straightforward. 11 words to get that out of your mouth. What Judd actually said... Right after Judd prefaced it with, I guess my question is this. <clears throat> the whole the whole environment is going to change now to a certain degree. You now go from games that were pressure <laughs> to games that are ultimate pressure. Everyone's watching. Keenum, and, and I'm curious about this internally for him too, he's got to know that if he plays... If he plays, let's say two or three really good post uh, playoff games. Oh, he included the ah. That's, yep. that's yep. deep. Okay. Yep. He's good. going to make himself a ton, an absolute ton. Uh-huh. So, so what I want to see from Keenum is how does he handle the pressure now of going from from being a really feel good story and the guy who thrived in this <laughs> offense, to playing in this offense and still not being, I mean, the the defense is your most important factor, and you're now the pressure now goes to another extreme, and that's what I'm curious about because this is where some guys melt down a bit at least. Can he now take that next step of going from feel-good story during the season and take that to the playoffs? Word count, 178. Thank you very much. Wow. Truly impressed. Thank you very much. Email to Reed. So Reed is saying you could have easily knocked off 160-plus words from that question. the only problem with knocking off words from that question is that question also allowed me to set up my thoughts about Keenum's 
difficulty of going into the playoffs. So I didn't want to ask it as just who, in fact, who are we talking about this with? Matthew Collar or no? Is this I from yesterday? I don't remember. This is from yesterday. Who Who is this with, Dave? Is it Courtney? Might say in the uh, email. It's an hour two, so. Hour two, 10 o'clock. Maybe it was just a discussion you guys were I think having. you and I were just having oh, okay, a yeah, okay. discussion. Wordy, yes, but I was also trying, I wasn't trying to ask you a question. I was actually trying to make the point. So you're using the, me as a pawn for your take, yeah, basically. Oh, and stuttering and stammering. Very much so. Very much so. Yes. Yes. I was using you as a pawn. Hmm. And yes, I did. Uh, it looks like in a few cases here, I definitely tripped on my words, which I've done before and I will do again. So I'm going to, I'm actually going to, I'd love to maybe even just like hunt for, I'm going to try and bait read in the next couple of weeks. Who's our next guest? Tom- who's our first guest tomorrow? Sage Rosenfeld. Sage Rosenfeld's at 930. Yep. I'm going to go for the title. I'm going to go for 200 words in a question tomorrow to no. Sage Rosenfeld's. You see, I think Are it's- you going to write it out? I have to, I'd almost have to get a feel for what that I looks think, like. I think it's tough. Let's try to one-up each other. Who can get to 500 words in a question? <laughs> what, 550. See, here's what we need, though. Can you ask an Thanks entire for question There's and no then say see, see, Dave, here's what we need, though. Here, Here's the key. The key to this competition is, are we doing the word count when we're talking to each other, or are we doing it in questions to right. a guest? Because like, to each other, I'm it's talking like, to each you other, got the I'm baton. just keep rambling. Correct. I agree. So, I'm fine with that. I need it's more. It's a bit of an unfair drive-by if I read it. had to have been a phone guest I still for like it to be it, valid. I still like it. It's a pretty good bit. Thank you, Reed. Uh, Sage Rosenfels, as we continue our Vikings voyage for vindication tomorrow at 930. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you about a midweek scoop sometime with Doogie, too. Mackie, Joe.